Oh Lord, we just thank you for Chris, Lord. It was first time speaking today, Lord. I just pray, Lord, what you'll lay on his heart, Lord, that he's just impact the church and everyday lives, Lord. Just lift him up before you right now. Amen. Amen. Thanks, man. Morning, church. Morning, everybody at home. What are you doing, wherever you are? Sat on your sofa. Hopefully you can see a screen. Uh, but I'll give you a little wave anyway. Uh, my name's Chris, and uh, this is the first time that I've spoken at Jubilee, uh, which, is, which is nice, um, and I hopefully it'll be nice for you. But I think, really, I just need a little bit of help. Uh, so the first thing I did when I got to church this morning as I went to uh, my helps at the back, because I chose not to bring my Bible this morning, not because I'm sliding back or I've decided that God's Word's not helpful, but because the tech team uh, were here very early, way before I got here. Uh, they're my help in here this morning, so they're going to put all the words up, so I'm totally reliant on them. Uh, and what a picture that is for our lives with God. We are totally reliant on God. Whether we acknowledge it or not, we are totally reliant on God. Uh, as Caroline says, the brick walls in our lives as just word after word keeps coming. John, we are totally reliant on God to break down those walls, to pull off from us that comfort. So with that as a background, I won't kind of waffle on too much, hopefully. Um, but I want to share three stories uh, from the Bible this morning. Um, and the stories that I think will illustrate um, the next in our series, we've been going through a series of what is the character of God? What is the character of the person that we are so totally reliant on? And we've looked at several of those characteristics so far. We're going to look at mercy this morning. He's a merciful God. But the Bible is full of stories. And, and my favorite story we're not going to today, so... Haley, Mike, you can just rest easy. We're not going to my favorite story, but we're going to look at some stories from the Bible that illustrate the merciful God that wants to take down those walls, strip off our comfort, and make our lives all about him. The first story is from Exodus chapter 33, uh, verses 18 to 20. And it's a story we're all familiar with. And I, I kind of read these stories talking about Pharaoh. What does it mean, Pharaoh? Pharaoh blessed Joseph. I had to do it, sorry. I had to just mention the name once. But Pharaoh blessed Joseph. So there was a Pharaoh that was kind, looked favorably on the Israelites once upon a time. The Pharaoh we see in Exodus 33 is not a nice guy. He is a, a pretty bad guy. He's looked at the Israelites. He's looked at them growing in number, and, and he is fearful of them. So his reaction to that is to oppress them, is to make them work as hard as he can, even to the extent of removing the supply of straw for bricks. So not only did they have to work as hard as they were, they had then had to work even harder because before they even started, they had to gather their materials. Who works for a living and makes things? If you make things 
from one thing to another, that's hard work sometimes. Imagine having to go and get all the bits to then make them. So it's like adding work on top of work. And the passage says, so if we could have the first scripture up, please. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. The incomparable glory of God. And the Lord said, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face. You cannot see my face because you'll die. In the Old Testament, the first five books of the Bible and the books following on, to be in the presence of God was to, to see death. God, as we've talked about so far, is a holy God. And with our walls, with our sin, with the things we get wrong, we cannot enter into a holy God's presence. So the first story I want to talk about is just this stiff-necked Pharaoh. So what does stiff-necked mean? Uh, it's a really interesting phrase because it kind of goes through to several different places in the Bible. Stephen, when he's just about to be stoned, uses it of the people that are about to stone him. I don't know that I could do that when faced with death. I don't know that I could say, it's not about you, it's about God. You're a stiff-necked people. The worst you can do, you're about to do. But it's about God, and I'll be with him. I will have compassion upon whom I will have compassion. I will have mercy upon whom I will have mercy. Now, Pharaoh was oppressing the people, and Moses was sent to him. God appeared to Moses in a burning bush and sent him to talk to Pharaoh to let the Israelites, to let God's people go. And through that process, there were some plagues that came. And if you read that in the scripture, they are quite serious things. And there are 10 of them that God sends to persuade Pharaoh to let the people go. And the first five, when Pharaoh is asked, his first response is typically, I'll go on then, I'll let them go. And then he changes his mind. Or the Bible says he hardens his heart. How often do we harden our heart towards the things of God. Quite a lot, I think, is a, is a reasonable response. I can speak for me personally. I do at times, especially when I'm in control of something. When I, when I think I've got something, when I think I can do it myself, hey, I can harden my heart and, and, and get on with life because it's, it's comfortable. But then something interesting happens with Pharaoh. When he gets to the fifth plague, the sixth one comes and God hardens Pharaoh's heart. 
in the Old Testament, in those times, there was a limit to God's mercy. God took Pharaoh to a point, and even though God knew the beginning from the end, he knew what was going to happen, he gave Pharaoh five opportunities to let the people go. But on the sixth, seventh, eighth, God hardened his heart. And there's loads of other stories around the tenth plague, but we haven't got time for that this morning. If, Anne, could you come up, please? The second story I want to look at, I'm going to need a bit of help. So Anne's going to come, and she's going to read the story uh, and give me a little bit of a rest. So if we could have uh, the second scripture up, please. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people were gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the, in the law of Moses, command us to stone her, such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who had heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, why, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of, of sin. Thank you, Anne. Did she do well? Wait, we all need help. We all need help because I couldn't stoop down and write. I, I thought about it and I thought, now that's never going to work. But when you get somebody to help you, it works. And if you can get a friend to help you with something, that's good. If you can get God to help you with whatever it is, with whatever that you're comforting yourself with, whatever wall that you're facing, if you can get God to help you with it, that is better. Jesus demonstrated, I will have mercy upon whom I will have mercy. And now the, the, the people that brought the woman to Jesus, I, I'm assuming that what they were saying was correct, that this woman had been caught in adultery. And what they were presenting Jesus with was the law. It's the law that she should be stoned to death. And Jesus takes that and doesn't ignore the law. Because Jesus said when he came, I have not come to abolish the law, but I've come to fulfill it. And that's really important that we get hold of that for ourselves. Jesus fulfills the law. He makes it all make sense. 
But for this woman, she's there and she's got this group of people that want to stone her. Now, the law they were referring to was really specific. If you want somebody to face death for that crime, you have to have seen it. You have to be an eyewitness. So Jesus is asking them, okay, guys, who saw this? Because there needs to be two of you that saw this to put this woman to death. Now, I don't know, because the scripture really doesn't tell us whether those people were there or not, but they certainly didn't speak up. And Jesus takes it to that next level and fulfills it by saying, the eyewitnesses that saw you do this, you deserve the punishment that the crime requires, but I will have mercy upon whom I will have mercy. If they don't condemn you, I, and let's remember, Almighty God stood in front of these people in the form of Jesus, says, I don't condemn you. He fulfills the law in that woman's life. Doesn't ignore the sin, doesn't ignore what she's done, but fulfills the law by saying, you are not condemned for it. Now, for me, that is such a comfort that's beyond what I could get from anything that I could find in the flesh. Absolutely anything cannot compare to the comfort that that would bring. So then the original scripture, I will have mercy on whom I was mercy, is quoted in Romans chapter 9. And the backdrop to this is really hard, but I'm going to read it anyway, because I think we have to look at the hard things that are in the Bible. The backdrop is, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Now that's a really, really tough thing. God is saying, I hated Esau. But I don't think he was actually directly referring to Esau the person because Esau, he was the father, if you like, of a group of nations. And what God was saying, I have rejected. They are not my people, Esau, but I have accepted Jacob. I have accepted Jacob and his descendants because they are my people. So the text is relatively similar, but there's a little bit on the end that I think leads us where we need to go this morning. What shall we say then? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy upon whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Now we've already covered that Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. The woman that was caught in adultery, according to the law, did deserve what the people wanted to give her. But she didn't get it because of God's mercy. Compassion is a bit different. Compassion is suffering with somebody. 
I can't remember where I first saw it, but there's a lovely picture that a lot of counseling people use. And it's a picture of somebody sat in the ditch at the side of the road. And, and the, the picture of Jesus is the person who comes and sits down in the ditch at the side of the road with you and feels the pain that you're in. Understands that wall that you're facing. Gets the comfort that, that you're holding on to. Understands where you are. Sits with you. And then gently says, give me a hand. Give me a hand and we'll get up together. And when we're up together, I'll walk with you. Until all of a sudden, you don't notice I'm there anymore because you're walking on your own. That's the Jesus that I love so much because that compassion that Jesus shows, Romans goes on to say, it does not, therefore, depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. Who is glad that it doesn't depend on your efforts? Anybody other than me glad that it doesn't depend on what you do? It's, it's, it's good that I try hard, but it's not great. And it certainly isn't God's will. It certainly isn't the best that God's got for me to try in my own strength to do the things that I'm capable of doing. The best is when I just accept God's help in that situation and let him take me by the hand and lead me on. Effort's my thing. Effort's my weakness because like I've already confessed and I must have confessed it to loads of people, my biggest issue as a Christian is being able to be self-sufficient, to do things in my own strength. But for, for, for some of the rest of us, it might be the desire. It might be how much I want to do them. How much I want to get past that wall that's been put in front of me. It might be a desire thing that, that I look at it and think, it's just too hard. It's too hard. That, that wall's too big. It might be that you've tried really hard. It might be that you've given it everything and you've been disappointed. Anybody been disappointed when they've tried so hard to do something for God? When they've tried so hard to accept that God is in control and to set your heart to do his will only to find that it doesn't quite work out. It's not quite what you expected. Today, so far, hasn't worked out how I expected. It, it's, it, it's, but it, you react to what God gives you and the direction and the nudgings that he puts along the way. It's blessed my heart so far, and I'm over halfway through, you'll be glad to hear, that things that have 
God's spoken into this church family have been so, so right for what I wanted to say this morning. What Caroline brought, so right. John, so right. The conversations that I've had with the people that, that, that gather together, trying to, to do God's will, trying to, to advance his kingdom. It's just amazing that God works in it all and brings it to that point where you can look and truly say, what we've heard this morning, God works in all things for the good of those who love him. That's a really long introduction to my last story. And uh, this is the most, most difficult one for me uh, because it's quite a personal story. And I've looked at the past in uh, three separate stories, which I'm not going to go into today because there's way, way not enough time. We, we've done them in our growth group, and, and, and you can get the chance to go and look at them. And those three stories are in, uh, in John 15, and we know them all really well. There's a story of a sheep that gets lost. There's a story of a coin that gets lost. And there's a story of a lost brother. Or is it the lost brother who stayed that's really lost? Or is that story really just about a father's heart? But that again, so that's not the last story. But in there, there is a, a story of a coin. And, and the, the bit I just want to touch on from there is it's about a woman who loses a coin and she's in like a, a dwelling that's quite dark and it's got nooks and crannies everywhere and this coin's gone ding, 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 ding. That was quite nice. Ding, ding, ding. And it's landed somewhere, but she can't find it. So this woman sweeps and sweeps and sweeps. And, and she's not sweeping to clean up and then find the... She's sweeping to just hear that little ding, 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 ding of the coin moving. Of that little coin that bears the image of God. That lost coin, that lost person that is created in the image of God. She's just listening for a little bit of movement so that she can then go towards that movement and find it. What a lovely picture of the way God and his love for us chases us, hunts us down to find us. And the story, last story, and I'm really putting it off now because I'm, is about, uh, it's about two thieves. So if we could have the... Uh, Luke chapter 23 up, please. These two thieves uh, find themselves being crucified for something they have done. Neither of them would say, I'm innocent, let me down from here, I don't deserve this. They both knew they were guilty, they both knew they deserved what they were getting. And they find themselves being crucified on a cross either side of Jesus. And they have two very different reactions. And remember, Esau, I hated, Jacob, I loved. There was an acceptance and there was a rejection. And that comes a point in everybody's life 
And it's something I believe so deeply that you can live your whole life without thinking about God, without deciding on God, without accepting or rejecting God. But I don't think you can die without coming to that point where you take a look at things and say, is God real? I don't know yet because I haven't got there. And when I do get there, I can't tell you about it. So. But what I can tell you is a story, of a personal story to me, of, of my mum. And, and before I get there, and I'm, again, I really am delaying this. Before I get there, these two thieves, one of them says, well, aren't you the Messiah? Aren't you almighty God? Why don't you just save us now? Save us, get us off these crosses, and get yourself off these crosses as well. And Jesus rejected that. But the other thief, the other thief looked and said, surely this is God. He's done no wrong. Surely this is God. And Jesus said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus accepted the second thief's acknowledgement of him. And it was as simple as that. Jesus, you're God. And I, I, I acknowledge that. I accept it for the rest of my life. Now, it wasn't very long in this guy's case because he was being crucified. You didn't tend to last that long when you were being crucified. I can't put it off any longer. I'm going to get to the story. We, we Jill and myself, um, did quite a lot of uh, work with students. Um, uh, we've done that quite a while and, and quite a bit of Jubilee as well. And we had a group of students around our house one, uh, one Sunday night. And, and we'd chosen to go ahead with it, even though my mum was, uh, was terminally ill. Um, and we, we'd known that for a relatively short length of time. And over the years, we'd kind of talked to my mum about, uh, about our faith. We'd shared with her. And, and her response to that had been, that's great, that's lovely for you, son. We're so pleased for you. And it progressed, and, and she, would, she would occasionally talk about our faith. Uh, and, and the thing that really blessed me up to this point was, she'd said, uh, I, Chris, will you, will you take my funeral for me uh, when, when I die? Because she knew at that stage that she was going to. And uh, I could do nothing but say yes. Um, but that was the, one of the hardest days of my life taking my mum's funeral, and one of the biggest privileges. But again, that's not the story that I want to tell you. I want to tell you the story about this Sunday night when the students were gathered, and it was great. We, 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 we ate, which we normally did. We, we shared scripture, and, 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 and as usually happened, they, uh, they weren't that keen on going. It was, it was supposed to be like seven till nine, but... Uh, it got to 10 o'clock, and we, we, we were getting the last of the students off on their way. Uh, and as I was there afterwards, I, I, I just thought to myself, um, I wonder how my mum is. 
And at that point, I really felt a, a strong urge from God to go and see her. So it's 10 o'clock at night in Hull, and my mum was uh, in bed at home in Doncaster. So I got in the car. I told Jill, I said, well, I've got to go. I just feel that God says I've got to go uh, and just sit with my mum. So I went to Doncaster, and I sat uh, with my mum. I sent her carer home, um, and, and I just... And I sat with her all night. And, and it, was just, it was just nice to be together. Uh, at one point, uh, she, she wanted to smoke. So she said, uh, Chris, will you, will you lift me out and, and put me in the chair so that I can have a smoke? I, said, I, I, I don't know why I said it, but I said, look, Mom, I, I will, but it's not good for you. <laughs> but why do you do those things? Why do you say those things? But, so I just said, it, it's not good for you, but I put him in the chair anyway. And, um, and she, she had a smoke, and then we got back into bed. Uh, and about, about, about half past four, I would say, she, uh, she got a bit teary. And she said to me, she said, she said Chris, what, what, what will it be like when I die? And, and I, said, I said, I don't know, Mum. I said, um, I said, for me, you said, you know, you know, I'm a Christian. You know, you know what I believe. Uh, I said, for me, when I die, I believe that I'll be with Jesus. That's, I'll be with Jesus. I said, and from what I know about Jesus, that'll be a pretty good place to be. And my mum said, that's what I want, son. And I just like, I couldn't believe it. Uh, quarter to five, I, I, I prayed with my mom that she would get to know Jesus and she would be with him when she died. And, and, and then I, I said goodbye because my, my brother was, was going to come in from work at six o'clock. So I said, look, I, I'm going to get going now. And I didn't see my mom again. But it, it's all, but it's not. Because there was, as, as I left and I drove back, I knew that she, like that second thief on the cross, just before she died, had accepted Jesus and was going to be with Jesus forever. And I'm not a big heaven and hell. They do exist. But I, I'd like to think of it in, in, in more simple terms. Heaven is to be with Jesus forever. Eternity with Jesus is heaven. And that phrase is what spoke into my mom's heart and made her accept Jesus. Hell is just, it's the opposite. It's eternity without Jesus. That's all it is to me. Which kind of brings me to the, to the main response, I guess. So if the band could start to make their way up, that would be great. The response to that, it demands a response to God's mercy. On a daily basis, I need God's mercy for the things that I get wrong. 
And it's not because I don't want to follow Jesus. I do. But I get it wrong. It's not that I can't be bothered to try to follow Jesus. But sometimes I'm tired. Sometimes following Jesus looks like doing something I've tried to do before. And it's not worked. But the response is to actually accept that it is not my desire or my effort, but it is our obedience to the will of God that matters. So three different responses that, that I think are, are, are captured within one of the response songs that Caroline and the, and the band are going to lead us in. Three different responses. One is simply, if you don't know Jesus, he's a great person to know. I have been blessed this morning with helpers, but great as you all are, you're no comparison to God as a helper. So if you don't know Jesus, Simply just ask him. Acknowledge that he's God. Ask him to come into your life, and he will. He'll come in, and he will take you by the hand, wherever you are now, and he'll walk with you. You can get to know him and get to love him. Second response is if you feel your love for Jesus is not what it was. So if it's not what it was, and you so, so desire for it to be, then if you're able, just stand. Stand before God and tell him. No pressure to do it. It's just between you and God. Stand and tell him that despite your current state, despite where you are now, you still want to know him. You still want that first love. And then another response is to those who feel that you've tried, you've tried and you've tried and it's just not working. The brick walls are too high. The comfort is just so comforting. And it's a really interesting phase that John used a comfort that comes from an addiction. And I'm not going to name addictions in case I stumble upon one that hurts me. Because we have all fallen short of the glory of God. There's not one of us who can stand before a holy God and say, here I am. What we can do is say, here's Jesus. Here's Jesus. And he's the one I've given my life to. And God, in his mercy, sets aside all that we have tried to do and failed at, all that we've got wrong, and looks at who Jesus is. So if either of those three groups relate to your personal situation, either stand before God if you're able and talk to him about it, or just let the words of this song wash over you 
But if you do want to give your life to Jesus, as well as talking to God, just tell somebody. Tell somebody you've done it because they will be able to point you in the right direction, tell you how walking with Jesus has gone for them, tell you what to expect. And then when you listen to that, set it all to one side because God is in control anyway. It's good advice, but God has got a plan just for each and every one of us.